Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Andrew Geisel from Citizens of Montrose coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She's the owner of Avondale Food and Wine, Mary Clarkson. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Hi, Eric. I'm doing pretty good today. Happy to be here. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week because we've got big news. Street to Kitchen chef owner Benchawan Jabthong Painter became the first Houston chef to win the James Beard Award for Best Chef Texas. She is also only the fifth Houston chef to win a regional chef award, joining Robert Del Grande, Chris Shepard, Justin Yu, and Hugo Ortega. Now, Mary, I, I've been talking to other people in the media about this. I did an interview on Houston Matters about this, and they said, what does this mean for a chef's career? And and since that's NPR, what I what I wanted to say is it's like being in the mob when you get made, right? When it, and it means that that you're at a level where you are established, your reputation is known, and it opens uh, the door to all sorts of other opportunities. But I, I didn't think I could make a mob movie reference on NPR, but I can on this podcast, and so that's what I'm saying to you. But I guess let me let me just say, I mean. You've been a Street to Kitchen fan for a long time. You've talked about it quite a bit on the show and on social media. What do you think? I mean, what, is this, what does this mean for, for Chef Benchawan, who is known as Chef G to everybody? So I'm going to refer to her as Chef G for the rest of this segment. But, but what does winning this award mean for them? It is such an incredible moment for them. And I think Chef G and her husband deserve to be celebrated for this. They really have stuck to what they've wanted to accomplish with this. They, you know, don't deviate from creating authentic food. Um, They don't make substitutions. They're unapologetic. This is what I love most about Houston. They're in the middle of a strip center on the East end in the middle of nowhere. And I will still flock to them as will many other people. It's such an accomplishment so well deserved i've liked them from the beginning i always love visiting them at urban harvest farmers market uh i think they're immensely talented i'm i'm very happy for both of them and could not be more well deserved yeah no i i mean i agree with all of that you know to call it the middle of nowhere maybe a little bit insulting to the people who live in the east end but but the larger point stands right it's not it's not in Montrose. It's not near the Galleria. It's not in the Heights. It's not a. It's not a neighborhood that's known for dining. It shares a parking lot with a gas station. It was a fried chicken restaurant before they took it over, and and they've really built. They don't have a publicist. They've never, you know, they've never really worked with anybody. You know, they built this thing primarily through word of mouth, and and just by serving, you know, they call it unapologetically Thai food, right? They don't, you know, they don't have soft spring rolls. They don't. They 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 just they. They do what they do. It's like the food that Chef G grew up eating in Thailand. She opened the restaurant because she couldn't find that food in Houston. So she started making it. And and she blended what she learned from her family with what she learned in Houston working for restaurants like Theodore Rex. And I think she worked at Salt Air Seafood Kitchen for a minute for Brandy Key. And and what she does is is just delicious. It's just a really special place. I love this also just for the mentorship that goes on in this town. A lot of people, you know, don't always understand where chefs come from or where they've been and everything else. She worked for Justin Yu at T-Rex 
also she's best friends with Caitlin Steets, the current executive chef at, at uh, Theodore Rex. Uh, this is a really proud moment for our city. I say the middle of nowhere, but even for the East End, like you've got to try to go here. And that's really the point that I'm trying to make is like, it's worth it. It's always been worth it. And if this gives them further exposure to increase their audience, then bravo. I just, every time I go here, I'm excited to go here. And I almost never order any food. I, I just tell them like, cook for me, cook for our party, whatever you're feeling, whatever's on specials today or whatever, because I know that no matter what I have, it's going to be incredible. Yeah, you know, and I, I did want to kind of take a more macro view of this because, you know, it was a very good year for Asian immigrants and Asian Americans in the James Beard Awards. Everything from all of the several of the regional chefs are are Asian. The um, the outstanding restaurateur Ellen Yin uh, from Philadelphia is is of Asian heritage, and so I, I think there's there's a lot of conversation because the James Beard Awards fundamentally changed, right? They they didn't have the awards in 2020. Uh, there's a lot of reporting about why that took place. They took 2021 off, kind of regroup, and then they rolled out these new criteria in 2022 that we're now living under, where the goal is to is is to broaden who's eligible, right? They they removed the past winners as voters for the most part. And, you know, they wanted to get away from from kind of tasting menus, fine dining, they wanted to to broaden the kinds of restaurants that were considered. I mean, certainly if you look at, you know, if you look at just the Best Chef Texas nominees, you know, you had you had Sandwich Hag in Dallas, which is a Bon Mi shop, and you had Burnt Bean Co. in Seguin, which is a Mexican-influenced barbecue restaurant. Like that's Burnt Bean that's, Co. is the bomb. <laughs> I I I really thought Burnt Bean Co. had a real shot at winning. I I mean, I am thrilled for for Chef G and her husband Graham. I'm so glad Street to Kitchen won, but I I, I thought it was going to be Burnt Bean Co.'s year. But but these are not traditional fine dining restaurants, which is kind of what won the James Beard Award uh, from the beginning of the awards until uh, 2022. And so so let me just ask you, as someone who's who's worked in, you know, in and around restaurants that have aspired to this kind of recognition, I, I mean, how do you feel about this? Because winning the James Beard Award in 2023 fundamentally means something a little bit different than what it meant in 2018 or 19. Listen, I think we live in Houston, Texas, and we are part of, you know, Texas in terms of Southwest James Beard region. We don't oh, no, no. Have we're we're our own region now. Texas is its own region. Oh, we are our own region. Okay, as we should be. Um, but we don't have Michelin rated systems here, right? Which is my kind of go-to when I travel in France. Uh, having a partner that's a French chef, you know, I mean, uh, Michelin Guide has always been very esteemed. I do think Michelin is different in Europe than it is in America. That's a totally different conversation. But in terms of Texas, this is the highest recognition you can get. And it's respect from your peers. And you, you know, it it really helps catapult you into a another echelon uh, in terms of what you can do. And some of those opportunities are more commercial, which that's fine. Chefs deserve to make money. Uh, we're all in this to make money, hopefully, right? Um, and so I think I think it means that she has the respect of her peers and and she stayed true to her vision. And I think that's increasingly hard to do these days post COVID. I think 
it's very expensive expensive to operate a a restaurant a bar i do think dining has gone more casual for uh, a greater part of houston i still think there's room for fine dining i know we're going to talk about one of those here in a little bit on the show but i love that you can access her food at an affordable price and it's the best version of it you can get i travel all the time and and i tell people all the time we're so lucky to be in houston and how vibrant our food scene is. I know we don't always get the love that Chicago or New York or some spots on the West Coast do, but I really do think we are on par or above par with any of those cities. Yeah, I, I think I think the other point that's sort of connected to that is that if if these restaurants were open and it was the 2019 Rules for the Beard Awards, the Houston restaurants that got recognized as finalists were Nancy's Hustle, Totemo, and Street to Kitchen. And and under the old rules, I, I don't know that either Temo or Street to Kitchen would have been recognized. Instead, we might have seen March or Blue Dorn, you know, some of these more classic fine dining places. I love that it's not a white male. Let's just talk about it. I love that it's not a white male. I, it's so hard for females in this business to get the recognition they deserve, much less someone that is not Caucasian, right? Like, it's... Houston is the most diverse city in America. So I think this James Beard for her reflects that. And I think that's incredibly important. Yeah. And uh, and Houston is also a city of immigrants, right? Chef G moved to this country eight years ago, you know, started this restaurant as a pop-up. I mean, I, you know, I, I look back in my, my emails, my, my first contact from Graham, her husband was five years ago. And I trudged out to cafe Caspian on the West side because she was doing a pop-up and I tried it and I was like, all right, this is uh, this is good. This is interesting. You know, like I'll I'll follow this. Tell me more, and and so to watch that evolution from then to now is, is so exciting and and such a worthy recognition for her and and her hard work and and how just crazy delicious her food is, and so I think the the marches and the blue dorns of the world are also worthy of recognition, and and I think that recognition will come. You know, whether it's Food and Wine Best New Chef, whether it's other national lists of, of best restaurants. But if the if the pendulum swinging means that we recognize Temo and Street to Kitchen, but not Blue Dorn and March, then, you know, it, it would be nice to get it to both. Right. Like it'd be nice to find a, a set of parameters where everybody gets included. I, I guess we call that the Culture Map Tastemaker Awards. There's uh, no shortage of fine dining options, though, that are amazing. I think it's a lot harder to pull off what she's doing, what Tatamo is doing, than make something fine dining that's awesome. Blue Dorn and March are great, but what she's done is exceptional, in my opinion. Right. All right. Let's move on to topic number two. Bun B and his business partners, Andy Wynn and Nick Skirfield, have opened the first Trollburgers brick and mortar. It is described as an extended pop-up in the former James Coney Island space at Shepherd and Richmond that will last for six months, maybe a little longer. That part's a little bit fluid. Mary, this has been an absolute sensation. A line out the door every day. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. Full parking lot, huge lines, big crowds. What do you think? I mean, you know, there's a lot of great burgers in this town. What is it? What is it about Trill Burger? This line is... <laughs> This line is bananas. I went to Chinatown last night for dinner and came back at 9.15. And even though they close at 9, there were still people in line inside. 
waiting to get served. And when I went to dinner a couple hours before, there was a line around the block. This is on a Sunday in the summer. It's hot. Like It's very hot. Yes, I agree. It, it's hot outside and this line is hot and everybody wants a piece of this. And this line is not going down anytime soon. I suggest he get a broker if he doesn't already have one and find a permanent location because people are going to want some of this longer than six months. No, and, and that is the plan. I mean, they, you know, they've said they're they're looking for a permanent, permanent location. But in the meantime, you know, they're doing this because they've had so much success. And and it's been so well received, right? They've they've been at the rodeo each of the last two years. They've done pop-ups at, at Eighth Wonder and at City Hall. They've been to Coachella. So I think the the crowds that are showing up for Trollburger are a testament to how they've how smart they've been about building this business and getting the word out. And and they've built all this enthusiasm, plus all the affection people have for for Bun B uh because of his music, because of his community activism, because he's he's such a leader in the city and and such a an advocate for the city nationally, take all that together and you get this just incredible support. And, and, you know, I'm, I know people are, you know, I'll, I'll hear from people like, Oh, I'll wait for the hype to die down. It's like, I, I don't know that it's going to die down anytime soon. I think, I think at some point, if you want a trill burger, you're just going to have to show up and get in line. Like I go I don't, early I don't think it's... or go late. Right. But right. You, the line is, you know, not gonna i wouldn't go on a weekend if you want to like make an easier line but this place is gonna be busy busy like it's just how it is it's very popular i have friends that have gone i have not been yet but they said the burger's great and you know he's beloved in houston so good for him yeah and and i mean right now they're really i think they're only doing burgers and fries but you know there's certainly room to expand the menu a little bit Uh, you know andy Wynn, his business partner is known for his like really over the top milkshakes in California. Like I'm ready for a, I don't know what a trill milkshake is, but I'm ready for it. You know, hopefully things, hopefully they, they get their feet under them. They get their sea legs quickly enough and then they can expand the menu a little bit and show some other stuff. But but right now I think it's just, it's burgers and fries and sodas. Uh, and that's enough for people, you know, vegan or vegan or beef. Those are your choices. That's it. One, one, two or three patties. That That's it. And people are loving it. I like the simplicity, super smart. He's doing great. All right. And then topic number three, Chef David Denis and his brother Sylvan are working with another French chef and a local investor to open Cocody in the River Oak Shopping Center. Per a press release that I received, this is not <laughs> this is not a French restaurant, but we know David Denis and Sylvan for La Mistral uh, that was in the Energy Corridor for, for many years, very successful. Uh, they now run Bistro 555 on Memorial Drive, kind of on the edge of Memorial. And so it's it's somewhat surprising, right, that, that you know, a French chef, his brother, who's who's a master in front of house service and French wine, they're not opening a French restaurant. They're opening something else and they they won't, they're not quite ready to say what. There, there's no information about the menu yet. You ready? You ready for my take on this? Yes. Yes, I, <laughs> yes, I am. Because, because we should say for people who don't remember that you you once owned a French restaurant, a La Olivier, with Chef Olivier, and then you pivoted to Avondale Food and Wine, where Chef Olivier made not French food, some French food and some not French food. So I feel like you have unique insight into a French, <laughs> a veteran French chef opening a not French restaurant. So <laughs> this one's especially juicy for me, and I love it. Um, 
Okay, so they're in River Oaks Shopping Center across from Brasserie 19. Uh, her, you know, B19's lease that they have an exclusive on French in the shopping center. So as Chef or his brother told uh, some of my friends at B19, it's like, you know, y'all do y'all are Americans doing French. We'll be French doing American style food. And I'm like, you know what? I... <laughs> I'll wait till I see the menu. I think there's going to be a lot of overlap. We'll see. But I can't imagine a world in which there's not a raw bar component or in which there's not a steak frites or onion soup or however they want to classify it. These guys are French through and through. And whether it's French technique or American-influenced French food or French-influenced American food, I don't buy that they're not going to be a French restaurant until I see it. So I'm looking forward to seeing that menu and seeing how it varies from B19, if it does at all. And... Right, right. And maybe it won't have like, maybe it won't be explicitly French, right? It won't have beef bourguignon or coquavon or, or cassoulet or escargot, but it, but it could have, you know, braised beef short rib, right? It could have, it could have uh, stewed chicken. You know, like, like there's a lot of ways to kind of get around like French style American yeah. fare that's not a French restaurant. I'm not buying it Um, on that tip. I am very excited to see the decor for this restaurant and the patio. I've seen some of the renderings that they've published. I think it's going to be a beautiful restaurant. I think anybody that is at B19 will be looking at a patio across the street from them. There's so many restaurants that have opened or in the process of opening within a couple of blocks either side of both Kokodi and B19. So I do think this is going to become kind of a walkable district, which I know the new landlords that have bought the center from Weingarten are in the hopes to do. There's plans to install a crosswalk um, that's lit up and that you can um, hit a pedestrian light so you can cross it more easily. So they want people to do laps and loops within the center, which I think is smart. Um, I just hope all of the concepts are different from each other. And I hope that they don't try to steal B-19's limelight. It would be very hard to do that. B-19's very established at this point. Right, right. I, I think trying to steal B-19's limelight will result in failure because, <laughs> I mean, frankly, frankly, people love Brasserie 19 and it's gotten kind of reinvigorated over the last year, you know, since Charles Clark and Grant Cooper ended their business partnership and Charles and Michael Hoffman, Chef Michael Hoffman are running that as Charles's only restaurant, right? Like there's, there's a new energy about it's B19. firing on all cylinders. Like it's a heavy hitter. I wish the wine list was a little better. It's getting a little better. They're trying on that front, but the food is great. Uh, the regulars are back. This is this is a formidable concept once well, again. And, and and again, so so just sort of speculate, right? Because we know that Hudson House, a kind of casual oyster burger concept from Dallas is coming. You and I have talked about Zanti on the show, the Italian restaurant, uh, very sophisticated, very energetic, uh, from the woodlands that that opened just down the street. We know, you know, LaGroya is leaving at some point this year. It's gonna be replaced by something else that that hasn't been announced yet. No, nothing nothing that I will nothing that I feel confident enough to say out loud in this podcast to report but but there are rumors about what is coming to the Lagroya space 
we're about Good to talk about Takaria. Well, no, it n- n- explicitly not, not, oh. but maybe a different, maybe a different good company concept. If, if you believe the rumors, uh, we're about okay. to talk about Albi, this, this Mediterranean concept. So what does Kakodi have to do to stand out? Cause that's a lot of, comp- you know, I, and I just ignored Perry's I'm rattling all these off. I ignored Perry's, but, but what does Kakodi have Paris to do? Corporate shame. Well, it's based <laughs> in Houston and it's very successful, but what, what does Kakodi have to do? What do the brothers Denis have to do to stand out amidst all of these other choices? Uh, I mean, I think it. You know, new restaurants always get get a moment in the sun. I think this one will. Um, I think their decor will help set them apart, and the ambiance and the patio. Uh, I think they're going to have a very large patio space. But honestly, offerings, if the food is stellar, which they're capable of producing great food, then that'll be important. I think the quality of their wine list and I think the pricing of it is going to be important. You can drink amazing wine at Brasserie 19 for a reasonable price point. And if they're higher than that, I think that's going to be problematic. I mean, uh, I think people are watching their dollars more than ever. I think... You know, you have to be priced in line with the market. So you've got to remain competitive and know what you're working against. If you want to draw people away from B19, you've got to be better and more competitive on B19 in some fronts. So that's either cocktails or wine or food or ambiance or whatever. I don't think they can compete with them on ambiance. I think they might be able to compete with them on on uh, wine and food. I was just talking with someone about this the other day, like the new era of cocktail pricing makes me not want to drink cocktails at a lot of places in town. I prefer to drink wine if I can find value on a list. So, you know, please don't price your cocktails at $22, but if you do, they better be, excuse my language, fucking incredible. (laughs) Right. They better be as good as the ones at Albi, which is, which actually sets me up to say, Mary, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our (laughs) restaurants of the week. Stick around. Mary, for our restaurants of the week, as as we just said, we want to talk about Albi. This is the Mediterranean fine dining restaurant right there on West Gray, right near Zanti, Brasserie 19, Cody, all of this stuff that's happening. It's it's located above the men's warehouse location, uh, second floor space. It has uh, a, a refined interior. Mark Cox of Mark's American Cuisine consulted on the menu. Christian Hernandez, who was at March, is the executive chef. You and I went with Linda Salinas, who appears on this podcast regularly. You know, she's looking at the bar manager. She's like, oh, she was at George James and Nobies and all these other places. So they've, they've, they've assembled quite a crew to get this thing off the ground. Uh, I'm going to say we had a pretty good dinner at Albi, but but what did you think? I thought that the food was stellar. I, I went into thinking the food is going to be good. I don't know if it'll be great. Uh, I liked a lot of the vegetable options that we had. We had a, a king, king trumpet dish that was incredible. I'll liken it to kind of a king trumpet taco, <laughs> uh, shawarma style dish, but it was, it was delicious. Uh, I thought there weren't any misses on the food and usually at 
a spot like this one category doesn't hit the desserts were wonderful appetizers mains everything was fresh nothing was overcooked everything was seasoned appropriately for a new restaurant i thought they way overperformed and i liked the partnership of an older more established chef with a kind of younger generation chef the executive chef here came formerly of march i think he's very talented and everything had beverages were great i liked the ambiance i think it's got kind of like a a little nightlife vibe to it not in a bad way it's it was it far outperformed what my expectations were I mean, I, I agree with all of that. I think it's a, it feels big, you know, it's a little bit hard to tell. Cause we, we kind of, we were in kind of one part of the restaurant kind of near the entrance. So I didn't, I didn't make my way through the whole dining room, but it feels pretty substantial, but it's, it's dark, you know, it's like, it's pretty dark in there, dark colored walls, red accents. Like it feels maybe not like a nightclub, but, but the, the, the color scheme and the decor makes it feel pretty intimate. And you know, I, I like that aspect about it. And and then you're right. Yeah, we're seeing, you know, I, I would say that the closest from a food perspective is kind of Hamsa, right? Because they're doing, they're doing the breads, they're doing the pita, they're doing hummus, they're doing vegetable dishes, they're doing grilled lamb, grilled octopus, all that kind of stuff. But, but definitely with their own flavor profiles, definitely their own spin on it. But, you know, we don't have a lot of kind of upscale Mediterranean food, right? Yeah, Hums is great for lunch and dinner. This place is only dinner and a little more high-end, so I like the differentiation, but a lot of similarities. Yeah, food-wise, a lot of similarities. Atmosphere, very different, right? Like, Hums is bright and open, and this is sort of darker and more intimate. And and I think that just kind of depends on... This is a date spot. Well, I think sure. it dates to Hamsa too, but but yes, I think, yeah, I think it's definitely a date spot. Uh, but but it was also a big group. I mean, we saw we saw, you know big tables like you know a big birthday party with a group of women was leaving around the same time we were we were seated next to uh, a bunch of what looked like either friends or business colleagues uh doing like a uh you know an early evening dinner before they headed off to drink somewhere else i mean so it's kind of flexible in that sense right where it could be kind of the you know a celebratory spot for a group or something more intimate for a date i don't know let me let me just ask you i mean you know you you said you know, you don't want to see cocktails in the $20 range, but of course that's what Albi is doing. So what did you think of their cocktails? Uh, I, I thought Albi's cocktails, you know, yes, there were 18 to $22 ones. There were less expensive ones. And I think the less expensive ones were also very good. You're in a high-end environment. I'm okay with it in this environment. But I don't like seeing cocktail pricing around town creeping up to the 18 plus dollar mark. I think it's warranted here because of glassware, presentation, quality of ingredients. But, you know, again, do you want a customer that's going to have one drink or do you want one that's going to have three? Or do you want one that's going to come on the regular or can only afford to come and it be a special occasion place? I think concepts have to consider that when they do their pricing. No, absolutely. All right. And then um, maybe just hit a couple of favorite dishes. Uh, what what really impressed you? The king trumpet dish for me was incredible. I love vegetarian dishes when I can find them where the seasoning is right. I think a lot of times 
vegetables can have a more wide array of flavors and obviously are healthier for you. Uh, this was exceptionally well executed. I don't like desserts at a lot of restaurants because I just think that a lot of restaurants put them on the menu and don't put a lot of thought into them. It's quite the opposite here. The desserts were incredible. I don't think you could go wrong with any of them. The standout, obviously, was the tiramisu. I don't even like tiramisu, and this was crazy good. Well, I I will say I I do like tiramisu. It's one of my it's one of my favorite things to eat. But you know, I I think you know some of the other ones that stood out. You know, obviously, both the beef tartare and the tuna tartare I thought were really good. We had the beets uh, tahini, kind of a beet puree. Uh, with herbs and some other seasoning that, that paired really well with the bread. You know, I thought the lamb chop, the lavender lamb chop was was really tasty and really nicely cooked. Uh, the grilled octopus was was meaty, flavorful. You know, a lot to recommend on this menu. I thought I thought really, you know, I'm with you. I think everything pretty much landed and and I would order any of those things again. Yeah, great first visit. I will be back again. I think the next time I try it, I'll be at the bar, perhaps the girlfriend drinks a couple of apps uh, for my next visit. But really compelling spot. I like it. I'm glad Houston has something like this. All right. And then restaurant number two, I want to talk to you about the Chelsea. This is the new kind of neighborhood bistro uh, in the Montrose Collective. It's located right next to Marmo kind of a mix right like a, a very approachable menu uh with a with a stylish interior you know you've got the the marble looking floors like the the metal accents paired with like a burger a chicken dish uh pigs in a blanket that kind of stuff so so kind of going uh, a little bit of high low and, and i'll say we went to the chelsea uh albie's been open for a few weeks we went to the chelsea on the first night of their friends and family so definitely grading on a curve with this one but but what did you think of the Chelsea? I like Chelsea. I, I like the interior was beautiful. Very, you know, high design concept across from Marmo on the same side of, of the Montrose Collective development. Uh, I think that, you know, it's a compelling concept in terms of its casualness compared to a restaurant like Marmo. I think, uh, I think it allows more accessibility in terms of, pricing and food i thought their food was nice i there was there were no obvious misses i think they're trying to appeal to the most amount of people as possible so the menu offerings are diverse i don't know how i would qualify it um in terms of american style food but there were you know comfort food items on the menu and a full bar decent wine list you know, yeah, I, nice, I, it's nice not, program, it's nice. oysters, uh, yeah. you know, a shrimp ceviche kind of situation that we really enjoyed. Nice to see the shopping center fill out and have more offerings. Yeah, I, I mean, the, I think the one, you know, the one dish that just really like snuck up on us that that, that kind of left us like, ooh, like if, 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 if everything is this good, then this restaurant's going to be just fine. Are those Parker House pigs in a blanket, right? The soft, fluffy, slightly sweet roll with that like kind of spicy like Chinese inspired sausage in the middle. I, I mean, you know, I think they come, I think they come six to an order. I, I probably could have eaten one order by myself and still had room for, for other food, but, but that was the big winner of the night. Yeah, Parker rolls, super nostalgic, really good. They also had a lot of fresh, you know, seafood dishes on there that I liked very much. Really, really nice spot. And I love how big their patio is. 
So yeah, I liked it. I'll be back. Yeah, that wraparound patio, you know, kind of on two sides of the restaurant. You know, again, the the elegant interior. I'd I'd say the service was good, but of course, you know, they they knew they knew who we they knew who we are and why we were there. So, you know, they were very welcoming. But uh yeah, you know, I've seen some other people kind of on social media checking out the Chelsea. The the word of mouth is is pretty positive and and I'm with you, right? Like I, I like I like Marmo. But, you know, a steakhouse is a special occasion kind of restaurant for most people. I like Uchi, but Uchi is uh, is also, uh, you know, definitely a, a premium price point. You know, the Chelsea is a little more approachable. Uchi's uh, happy hour still rocks, but Chelsea's price point is going to be appeal- appealing. You're right about that. Right. Chelsea's price point, right. It's it's kind of it kind of is in between. It's it's a little less than Marmo and Uchi. It's a little more than Picnic, the very casual spot from Austin uh, that just opened over there. So. You know, it's a little more refined. I, I think I think it's kind of a sweet spot in terms of a restaurant and, and I think it's gonna I think it's gonna do very well. I think it's a you know, I'm with you. Uh I, I think I'd like to go back. I'd like to try more of the menu. Agreed. Looking forward to another visit sometime soon. All right. Mary, I'm going to say that does it for our restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And I'll be right back with Andrew Guys. I am joined this week by Andrew Geisel. He is one of the owners of Citizens, a new cafe that just opened in Montrose. Andrew, welcome to the show. How are you? Eric, I'm feeling great. Uh, Thanks for having me. Excited to be here and I can't wait to dig in. Thanks for doing this. I'm glad you're here. You know, I always kind of like to start at the beginning of a person's career. So, So tell me a little bit about life before you opened the first citizens location in new york what were you what were you doing absolutely um yeah i was back in australia uh you can probably tell from my voice that i'm not a native american um and i was studying architecture and sort of throughout my whole uh younger life i always worked in hospitality i had a love for the industry i've got a love for people for connecting and talking um so throughout my architecture studies um, worked in restaurants, worked in coffee, worked in a particularly um, cool roasting company uh, on the Gold Coast called Merlot Coffee. And, um, you know, I, I completed all of my my, uh, my architecture school and was deciding to take a gap year. You know, I, I said, I just want to take a year off. Um, want to do a little bit of growing. I was uh, uh, 22 at the time and um, had the grand idea of packing up and heading to New York City. Um, I'd actually read a newspaper article about how Australian coffee and Australian cafe culture was starting to become, you know, a bit of a thing over there in New York. And I thought, that sounds fantastic. Why don't I go over there for a year, um, you know, sort of live and learn and have a bit of fun. And that one year gap year in New York, um, turned into something completely wild and different that resulted in uh, me and a friend of mine, Justin, opening Citizens, our own cafe. So, you know, that that was sort of how it all came about, and I'm sure we'll dig in a little more, but it certainly was supposed to be a much shorter trip to New York and then uh, going back to Australia and kicking on back there. But life's got a funny way of working out sometimes. Yeah, So, so tell me a little bit more about that decision. What did you, what did you find in New York that made you think, you know, 
I I don't actually want to be an architect. I want to open a, an Australian style cafe and and get into the restaurant business. Um, I think it's just a different pace of life, isn't it? Uh, growing up uh, on the Gold Coast, Australia, it's very coastal, surfy, relaxed, and chill, and it served me tremendously throughout my my younger years, but. You know, I think you get to a certain age and you're just looking, as I said, to grow a little bit. And the idea of going to New York, such a global city, such a tremendously culture forward city, it just seems super fun. It seems super appealing. And I had this idea in my head that no matter what happens, it couldn't be a bad experience. You know, I just figured it would serve me really well. So didn't think about it too hard. Just said, let's go over there and be open to the opportunities that come. And uh like I said, I, I started working for an Australian cafe called Milk Bar, actually, that was in, in Brooklyn and just had a really good time, you know, was connecting with the, the, the local neighbourhood and it was, it was a really wonderful launch pad into my life over there in New York. Um, but pretty quickly found that, you know, the people of New York were attracted to this scene. They, they, they were curious about our voice. They were interested in what the flat white was. Um you know, and it was really the first time that I thought, you, you know, I've always loved restaurants. I've always loved coffee. I had never paused and thought, you know, maybe this could be a career that I would I would do. Maybe I could open a restaurant. Um, it, it's an insane world and industry and it always had just been a lot of fun, but it just felt very right time, right place, you know, and I think that was one of the uh, the beautiful things about doing it over in New York first was, I didn't have any friends or family looking over my shoulder saying it was a good idea, a bad idea, judging me. It just felt right. It felt fun and uh, and it's something that I felt passionate about. So we thought, all right, why don't we try and do this? Yeah. And, and I mean, what was your, I mean, like how well did you know Justin when you started this? Like what was his background? Yeah. So this will need some explaining because a lot of people um, jump to the conclusions that we are brothers or that we are best friends from back in Australia. Um, so the truth is we hadn't met each other uh, until we we both met in New York. So his story is a little bit similar to mine. Um, he was a student of accounting. Um, his older brother is an accountant and was sort of getting ready to go down that pathway. He did it for one year in Australia and he learned that uh, that was not going to be <laughs> the choice for him. Um, so he moved over to America as well, moved over to New York. Um, and he actually immediately got into the cocktail scene in New York. He was working at Lucky Jack's, um, you know, sort of the late night scene. Um, and he was the first one who, who, between the two of us, who came up with this idea of opening a cafe. He actually already had had the idea. He was starting to build the business plan. Um, and it just so happens that while he was sussing out the local competition in New York, he walked into the cafe that I was working at, you know, and, and I had only been in New York for about two weeks. I just started. I'll never forget it. He came in, he ordered an espresso and we just got chatting. You know, I, I didn't have any friends in New York at the time and uh, thought, how good's this? You know, this guy kind of sounds like me, <laughs> you know, we're, we're hitting it <laughs> off. And, uh, and that was the start of our relationship. You know, and it, it took many months until he revealed to me what he was actually doing and working on. We just had a friendship at first. And I'll, I'll never forget the day that he told me. He said, Andy, 
I've been working on opening my own Australian cafe. And immediately I was just so excited for him. And there was this moment inside of me that said, wouldn't that be cool to do? I think it was a turning point where I really thought, that does sound fun. That does sound like a real interesting life journey. Gosh, who knows if it would ever work out or not. But I had this yearning that it was something I wanted to be a part of. So um, a couple of days had gone by and we were talking about it more. I said, Justin, I want to tell you something and uh, I want you to you know, answer very honestly to me. Um, <clears throat> I'd love to do this with you. I'd love to be your business partner. Um, you know, I think I can provide a lot of value to this business. And, uh, and if it's not to be, you just let me know and we'll be, we'll be friends nonetheless. And he said, Andy, I was hoping you'd say this. I've been looking for a business partner for a while and I wanted it to be the right person. I wanted it to be you, but um, I didn't want to drag you along. You know, I wanted it to come from you so that you, you absolutely would be genuine in, in your endeavors here. And, you know, that was just a joy to hear. And that really marked the moment where we both put our heads down and we said, righto, let, let's let's start building, you know, the blueprint of what our Australian cafe will be here in New York. Yeah. So just take a take just a step back just conceptually, because, you know, I think people hear Australian cafe and, and maybe, you know, there's a couple in town, but but maybe they're not familiar with that. How would you how would you distinguish the concept of an Australian cafe from a more traditional American coffee shop? Yeah, I think this is a really uh, good question. And it's a part that we are constantly um, educating on to our guests and to the people who come into Citizens. Because I think the gut reaction over here is when they hear Australian cafe, oh, um, kangaroo sausage and cricket bats on the wall, you know? Like, right, uh, Veg- out, Vegemite out. sandwich, right? Uh, yeah. Know. Yeah, a G'day Outback Steakhouse experience, um, you know, and as much as I love all of that, the truth is what we are doing and when we're talking about the idea of an Australian cafe, we're referencing our local favourite, you know, best Aussie cafes that we have back in our hometowns. We're talking about the staple cafes of Melbourne, St Ali. We're talking about the best cafes on the Gold Coast, Paddock Bakery, Um you know, they do things just slightly differently, you know, and, and I think when you start to um, unpack what those pieces are, the first part of it that I think is a little different is it's the combination of a really robust full kitchen, full service food program and pairing that with a high caliber specialty coffee, you know, mainly espresso based coffee program. Um, and when you say it out loud, it doesn't sound incredibly novel, but my experience over here is traditionally you'll find really good places that do coffee, um, but their food offering is on the lighter side. Maybe at best it's counter service, probably a pastry and a muffin. And on, you know, breakfast and sort of day part dining, there are some great restaurants out there, but uh, usually I wouldn't be in a hurry to go there to grab my, you know, flat white on the way through to work. And that's the Aussie piece that gets done so well is that it's a really universal daytime concept. You know, your best Aussie cafes, you're going there in the morning on the way to work, you're picking up your coffee and pastry, maybe you're dropping in to read the newspaper real quick. You know, you're coming back on the weekend, you're bringing your family and friends for a nice brunch. And it has this really um, 
you know, cross-pollination effect and you can experience the brand in many different ways. And the beauty of that, you know, when you walk into a great Aussie cafe, when you walk into Citizens when it's been its best self, it's got this vibrant experience in that you see a line at the counter for people waiting for coffee, you look around, you know, you see people sitting down and dining and laughing and talking, the music's kind of loud, it has this energy um, you know, and that's the moment that I love when people walk into our stores and they look around, they say, gosh, I don't exactly know what this is, but um, tell me what it is and, and, and get me in because I'm because I'm loving it. So for me, that's part one. Um, I think the environment and the design is a very big piece of it as well. You know, Australia is a very outdoorsy uh, type of culture. It's a very lifestyle driven culture. And that's what we try and bring, I think, into a good Australian cafe is the design element should be light and bright and uplifting. How do we bring the outdoors in? How do we inject energy with plants and, you know, subtle design touches? Um, <clears throat> and there should just certainly be this essence of an uplifting nature um, from the ambience and from the design and the environment. Um, you know, and you put those two together, it's already sounding pretty good in my books. And I think finally, um, it's just what I like to call, you know, genuine Aussie hospitality. You know, I think the uh, Australians have this uh, sort of stereotype of being chilled and laid back and positive and bubbly, you know, or, you know, how you go and everything will be great type vibe. And that's what we try and channel, you know, we're doing breakfast we want it to be fun. We're doing coffee. We want it to be fun and approachable, you know, and I think there are some sort of similarities in the Southern hospitality and very polite and laid back. Um, but, you know, you add that hospitality piece to it. And for me, you've got that winning formula of what, you know, a really good Aussie cafe should be. No, I, I think that's all very insightful. And, and I, I mean, for me, you know, the things that really stand out are the table service, right? Like you have, yeah. you have servers that kind of help people. Uh, it's not, it's not counter, like if you're, if you're there to dine, right. It's not counter service. Yes. And the menu's really hearty. It's not just breakfast stuff. Yes. Uh, cause I had a very delicious burger uh, that I was really Absolutely. happy. So, yeah. I mean, cause obviously it's, you know, you have smashed avocado toast and Benedict's and that kind of stuff, but the food was a lot heartier uh, and more substantial than I would have anticipated. Yeah, I, I think the idea behind the menu is, um, you know, of course, I think when you look into it, there is a wellness element, right? We do have lighter offerings. We do have dragon fruit smoothie bowls. We do have pieces that, you know, you can have a wonderful fresh meal and leave feeling better than you came in. And we also have heartier options too. You know, like you mentioned, it is full service for dine-in. You know, we pride ourselves on giving a full restaurant experience for the cafe price, um, and that's, again, the beauty of the concept is whether it's in product and offering, whether it's a light bite through to a full meal, a breakfast through to a lunch, um, or whether it's in the way that you interact with the business, whether it's getting a quick coffee to go or it's staying with us and having full table service, it's just there's a, there's a lot of diversity in, in how the brand exists. Yeah. So, so tell me about kind of you opened your first location in New York. You've grown to three locations. I mean, what's that been like? kind of building it. I mean, cause certainly it's a, you know, are arguably the most competitive restaurant city in the world. Right. I mean, so it's a, it's a real testament to what you're doing that you've been able to grow like that. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, it has just been an absolute boatload of learning. You know, we learn every day. Um, 
And I'd be lying to you if I said we opened Citizens with the idea of growing to multiple units in New York and then taking Citizens to other states and cities within America. We really uh, wanted to build something that was just meaningful to us. We wanted to create the space that re we really wanted to be in, you know, as a guest. What were we looking for first and foremost? Um, and our first couple of years was just truly spent honing our craft. You know, we, we had worked in, um, in restaurants, in breakfast, in, in these sorts of spaces for many years. Um, but I think it takes a lot of energy and a, a lot of time and dedication to build a brand, a brand from the ground up. I think to create a culture, to create something that really speaks to people, whether it's our own team or whether it's our guests, um, all of that was very new to us. You know, I, I think that that was the experience that I take away from the first couple of years is it's one thing to make a good coffee, right? It's one thing to uh, serve a table and look after a guest, but how do we begin to build our restaurant in a way that conveys who we are and what's meaningful to us and what the experience should be and how do we get people engaged in what we're doing so you know that that was just a really wonderful experience when we opened citizens of chelsea as our first restaurant you know we were there as you would probably imagine six or seven days a week we were making the coffee in the morning taking the trash out at night and you know the, the neighborhood sort of quickly saw they're like you guys are crazy. You're here all the time. I saw you at like 7 a.m. pouring my coffee and you're out here carrying the trash out. And like Justin and I, we just had the absolute ball building that restaurant because we could feel the community starting to accept us and we could feel that we were starting to create something special. Um, and then you kind of hit phase two, right, where you open store two and store three. Um, and that's its own challenge. You know, just when you think you've kind of got it worked out and you've got one restaurant operating well, you realize the challenges of operating multi-units and how you manage all of the people challenges, product challenges, place and venue challenges, all of the things that come along with that, you know? So I think um, that was a, 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 a good period where, again, we had just learned the craft of owning and operating one venue and then had to kind of go back to the drawing board and reinvent some of our systems and our structures and how we intended to operate because what works at one doesn't always work at two or three and then what works at two or three doesn't always work at five or ten um we had a had a quite a successful run and opened a, a good handful of restaurants in new york and along comes 2020 and along comes covid um and that, that was just an incredibly humbling experience. I, I remember the day when we closed all of our restaurants. We, we put a message out to our team saying, uh, guys, we're not exactly sure what's happening. Uh, you know, we are going to close the restaurants. It's a scary time for everyone involved. Please stay home and please stay safe. Um, and, you know, Eric, I'm sure you could imagine what rent liabilities alone are like in New York because uh, you have all of these leases that you still need to attend to. And um, it was a scary moment where it, it went from being something that um, was escalating quickly and getting out of control and you weren't sure what was going to happen to really realizing that there might not be a restaurant to come back to after this. There might not be a citizens for us to open uh, at the end of all of this, because no one knew, no, no one knew what would happen, how long it would go for, what sort of support we would all get. Um, 
so, you know, it, there was moments me and Justin would be on the phone to each other. We'd be talking about all of the hard work we'd put in over the past years, the amazing people we'd met and, and where we are in that moment. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we accepted it quickly that this now has um, left our control. This now um, will be what it is. And there was, a, there was a small amount of comfort in the idea that we were all in it together. It wasn't just us closed, the whole, the whole world shut down. So, you know, we kind of thought if it, if it all goes down, then um, we're all in it together and we'll all kind of work it out together. Um, but thankfully, um, through, you know, the amazing work of our teams, through, you know, support from the American government, the assistance that they gave out to the restaurant industries, we were able to slowly get back on our feet. We were able to start operating to go only, taking baby steps towards being who we were. Um, and, you know, we're here today, thankfully exited through that period, um, you know, and, and excited to be embarking upon what the next chapter for us is, which is our, our, our launch into Houston. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good jumping off point. You know, it's not necessarily obvious that, oh, we have three locations in New York City. Let's go to Houston. So how did you, I mean, of all the places you could have gone, yeah. why, why Houston? Yeah. So we, as I mentioned, we had been looking around probably since late 2019. Um, of course, when COVID happened, we paused any ideas of expansion, but for the past couple of years, we'd been poking around at the idea of what is the next step for citizens? We adore the idea of taking it to another wonderful city and spreading our good word to uh, another great city. And, you know, we'd spent time in Austin. We were spending time in Houston. Uh, we also were spending time in Nashville and North Carolina. Um, and as we were doing these market tours, Houston really was the market that Time and time again, when we visited, we were able to scratch beneath the surface and we were realizing that something special was going on. You know, it was a better city each time that we visited in that to the naive Australian that is me, who had really only spent time in New York and only had spent a handful of years in, in America, I had no idea how good the food scene was here. I had no idea how diverse Houston is as a city. Um you know, and, and you guys here really get around your restaurants and your, your food and beverage industry. You, you know, each time we came, we saw amazing restaurants that were packed with people that were having a good time. And, you know, it's really important to us. I, I think when you're looking at the idea of opening a new city, you want it to be somewhere that is supportive of restaurants. You want it to be somewhere that, you know, really supports um, diverse and innovative and, and different cuisines and we, we really got that. We got that from being here. And the more and more that I came, I just found myself enjoying the city. There was resemblances um, for, for, for back what it's like in Australia to me. You know, the, I come from Queensland. It's hot and humid all the time. Um, and you get afternoon showers that washes it all out. And within my first handful of weeks here, I was like, oh, this is, this is pretty similar to what I'm used to back home. Uh, the, the people were really laid back and really cool. And I knew that, you know, we had always planned that I would relocate to the city that, that we're going to open in. And, you know, it was important to me and to my fiance Kate, that we went somewhere that we felt comfortable. 
you know, we're going to be spending a lot of time here. We're going to be meeting a lot of people. And we just wanted somewhere that kind of would feel like home. And it just started to really feel natural. Um, you know, I think as a business owner, you're always looking at the the demographics and those types of studies. And Houston's a very big city. Uh, it has a really strong economy. It's quickly growing. Um, so I think all of those ideas are lucrative as well. Um and, you know, we really were just starting to fall in love with Houston and then the right opportunity came along. So, um, of course, we're in 907 Westheimer, which is the former um, FM bar and kitchen. And um, one of the main operators of that space, Jason Mock, uh, he's another Aussie. And I got connected to him through the industry and we really just hit it off right from the go. And, you know, he, he was saying how, in an ideal world, they'd love to have a breakfast operator in this space. You know, we have a fantastic neighbor in Velvet Taco who um, absolutely crushes it uh, during the evenings. And, um, you know, we've come to learn how important a car park is in Houston. Everyone drives, right? So they ideally were looking for a breakfast operator who, you know, really could, uh, to a maximal way, utilize this car park that we could use it all in the mornings and it wouldn't conflict with them. They could use it all in the evenings. Um, so, you know, we started to build that relationship. We started to learn more about Montrose and it just looked like it made sense. And when I saw the space and walked the space, immediately I had a vision. I could see these beautiful bones, that gorgeous horseshoe bar that wraps around the space. They had a wonderful kitchen in the back, one that was already set to the spec of our line. Um, and, you know, all of the pieces just managed to align. And that, that's how we, uh, we ended up in Houston. I mean, you, you say that you, you know, you feel kind of drawn to the neighborhood. But, I mean, it is, it is thick with competition for coffee, breakfast, daytime options. I mean, I, yeah. I mean I'm not going to rattle all of them off. But, but just, I mean, you know, you're around the corner from Snooze. You're across the street from Picnic and Lala Kind Cafe. Blacksmith is down the street. I mean, obviously you, you've made that decision to, to be in the middle of all that, but, but how do you like in a positive way, like I'm, I'm not yeah. asking you to say anything bad about anybody, but, <laughs> but how do you see the citizens experiences maybe a little bit different than some of those other places? Yeah, it, it's a really important question to answer. And I think that in essence, we're comfortable with that idea, with that idea for a few reasons. I, I think just when you go back to the idea in Australia, there's really great cafes on every corner. You know, so so the idea of saturation is something we're used to. We've operated in New York. There's tremendous offer, offerings around our areas in our New York stores as well. Um, my, my thoughts are this. I think that um, good competition in an area does a few things. It makes you be a better business. I think if you have really strong competition, it raises the bar together. And, and rather than even call it competition, it, to us, that's inspiring. Um, I think when you have a high concentration of really wonderful restaurants and bars and concepts in a particular area. It also shines a really good spotlight on that area. And it's something that you do want to be a part of, you know, um, the important thing then becomes, okay, how can we very clearly and articulately define who we are and what our voice is and why is it different to the other, you know, players in the area? Because that is the truth is there's wonderful businesses in Montrose. You know, we are big fans of Snooze. We are big fans of Common Bond. Um, there's a lot of good food culture here. And the idea is 
why would you want to come to Citizens right now? What what can we do for you that's unique to us that you're not going to get at any of those other businesses? And I think going back to those points you referenced, like the breakfast with really high quality table service, genuine Aussie hospitality, and, you know, a menu offering that, is diverse in both coffee and food, a menu offering that gives you everything from the fresher, lighter, healthier bites through to the more hearty pieces, you know, I, I find that something that, you know, I'm very proud to represent that space uh, in, in Montrose. And I guess take me through the menu just a little bit. I mean, we talked about a couple of dishes, but but what are some of the things that people kind of come back for or, or mm-hmm. you know, for people who are listening to this and, and thinking about trying Citizens, what do you what do you recommend they start with? Absolutely. So, you know, we, we all know what an avocado toast is. Um, why it gets claimed as Aussie, you know, I don't think we invented it. It's just on every Aussie cafe's menu. You know, you go to any Aussie cafe back home, they've got a wonderful smashed avocado. And the thing I like about the avocado toast is as a base of a dish, it's usually kind of similar, but it's what do you do around it? What do you garnish with it? How do you give it your own flair? You know, it's our biggest seller in our in our stores in New York. And, you know, we pair our smashed avocado with a house-made beetroot hummus. You know, beets or beetroot is very, very popular in Australia. We're always looking for ways that we can be true to who we are and to our culinary background. And the sweetness of the beets just pairs very nicely with that smashed avocado. It's something that visually when you put on the plate, it pops. You know, it has that value of, of raising the dish's appearance, but the companion of those two flavors of the bee and the creaminess of the smashed avocado, um, I think it's a real winner, you know? So, so that one's really popular. We're super proud of our banana bread, French toast. You know, we, we make our banana bread in-house from scratch. Um, it, it is a, another cult favorite back in Australia. Banana bread is so, so popular. Um, uh, but then it becomes about how do you do it a little differently? How do we make ours maybe that little bit more interesting? Um, you know, so we French toast it, we cream wash it and fry it on both sides. And it does a few things. Of course, it, it softens up the inside. It makes it warm and soft and tender. And you still get that slight crispy layer on the outside. Um, you know, we have miso butterscotch that we pour over the top. We put some um, mascarpone, some fresh mint, uh, some black soy powder. And, you know, we're creating a dish that you know, we're super proud of that we just believe is a little different. It's not overly sweet. Um, you know, it does have these elements that are a, a little bit unique and neutralizing. Um, and that, that one's been a really big seller for us. We're super proud of it. Um, we make all of our biscuits in-house too. Um, so we do this wonderful fluffy biscuit. It's the base of all of our um, Benedicts that we do. Uh, but it goes really great on our cheddar biscuit brekkie sandwich. Um and that's our, so we have our um, cheddar biscuit with jalapeno, slight smokiness to it. Um, we do this house-made tomato chutney that gives a sweetness that balances that biscuit, put it on both sides, a roast scrambled egg, two rashes of bacon. Um, that's just a really, uh, has been a big hit for us as well. So, you know, I, I'm, I, I get hungry just thinking about it. I, I, I'm off today, but I went in, went in for brekkie and they said, what are you doing here? You're here every day. I said, I'm, I'm hungry. I want to come in and have some breakfast today. <laughs> yeah, but where, where else would you eat? I mean, you know, what, what if, of course, obviously. Exactly. Yep. You know, obviously you've only been open for uh, basically a week or, or even a little bit less. 
how's it going so far? How do you how do you feel about how you've been received? It's going really well. Um, I think opening a restaurant from scratch is a huge undertaking um, and there's many different pieces to it. Like our first and foremost is we just really um, want to operate well. You know, you, you only get one chance in this business. Once the community hears about you, they check you out and you absolutely have to be ready for them. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling really great about where our team is. We had a wonderful couple of weeks of training, really getting them to understand, you know, who Citizens is and what we do. Um, the community that's come in so far has just been super warm and welcoming of us. Uh, the feedback has been that they've been loving the food, loving the coffee. Um, I think it's always um, testimony to things going quite well that, on our first day, you know, predictably, it, it was a little slow um, and we made relationships with a handful of people who came in who were brave enough to come and check us out. The next day, I'm going around to all the tables. I'm asking, hey, how did you hear about us? This is only day two. And they go, my friend Steve came in yesterday and he really enjoyed it and he told me to come in. And that's the experience we've had day after day. Is we've almost been doubling in sales each day. And uh, whenever I ask how they found out about, about us, it's because someone else had referred them here who'd already been. So, yeah, it's been wonderful. You know, I, I still think we're working out a couple of kinks. I'm uh, not naive enough to think we're at all perfect just yet. Um, but, you know, that, that, that's the process that, that we're in. We're committed to being better and I think committed to listening as well. There's a lot of, um, I think, cultural nuances that just the difference different between operating in New York versus operating in Houston you know, that it's a different culture and we want to understand how the people of Houston feel when they're with us. I'm certain that there are some oversights that I just haven't considered, you know, about what we're doing now that maybe is different or unusual um, or even maybe it's unpleasant based upon, you know, what they're kind of used to and looking for. So it's important we stay true to who we are, but also that we listen and learn and, and commit to um, being better for tomorrow. Yeah, is there one piece of feedback that you've already got where you're like, okay, well, I need to I need to look at this if, if we're gonna if we're gonna meet Houstonians where they are, like we need to think about this. Yeah, and I'll ask you how you feel about this. Uh, the conversation of unlimited refills on beverages um, in Australia, this isn't a thing at all. Um, if, if if there isn't unlimited coffee, it just goes by the cup. In New York. Not so much, like the, depending on where you go, there certainly is places that and diners and stuff where you would get unlimited coffee, free refills. Um, but yeah, we had some comments about coffee refills, about iced tea refills, about it just being water and that, you know, we should be able to get a top up. So it's one that we're watching and that we're listening just to see, you know, what our, what our stance will be on an ongoing basis. How, how do you feel about the idea of uh, yeah, free I, refills? I mean, I would say soft drinks and iced tea, especially like unlimited refills are kind of our, our civic birthright. Like I, I would be <laughs> sort of personally offended if I, you know, if I got an iced tea refill and saw that I had been charged for it, I'd, you know, mm. you know, especially if it's brewed iced tea, right. It, you know, yeah. every now and then you'll see a place that, you know, they only have bottles, you know, plastic bottles of iced tea and, and they charge obviously per bottle. And that makes a certain amount of sense to me. Yeah. Uh, but, but just like a regular brewed iced tea. No, I, or a drip coffee. I mean, I would expect at least one free refill or maybe even a couple of free refills. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's important. It's important for us not to walk in with an iron fist saying, this is who we are. This is what we do. You will play by our rules. Um, because the truth is 
we all want the same thing. I want people to have a wonderful time in my restaurant. You know, our guests who walk in want to have a wonderful time with us. You know, and, and if we have a rule or a system in place that um, prevents them from doing that, there ought to be a really, really good reason why it has to be. You know, and if I if I can't clearly explain why it's unfeasible or uneconomical or whatever it might be, why we can't do a refill, then you know it doesn't doesn't make sense to go against that grind. Um, so I appreciate that feedback. We're going to look at that and perhaps revamp. Right, and, and I think people would pay, you know, fifty cents or a dollar more for the initial purchase, right? Knowing that it comes with yeah free refills, right? Because like I think I think I think that's the the at least the background that we have is from from our coffee and our beverage culture is we pride ourselves on using amazing coffee, on using amazing loose leaf tea. Um, so th- there's a reason in our heads why it makes sense to go by the cup, but I think that there's, um, perhaps more fair and innovative ways that will work with the people of Houston. No, absolutely. I, I think that's good. Cause I, yeah, paying for, I, I just, I can't imagine paying for a nice tea refill. I'd, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be so, I'd be so offended, but, but so let me just ask you, I mean, you know, I know, like I said, I know you're only a weekend. Uh, but you have three locations in New York, so so let me just ask you. I mean, do you have other Houston neighborhoods in your sights? I mean, you know, how many how many citizens do you think uh, the city can support? Um, I think that's the wonderful that, that that is a wonderful thing about Houston is it is a big city. You know, the idea of opening more citizens here is something that's definitely one day on the cards. What I know is there's no chance of opening a second or a third or a fourth or any of that. There's no chance unless we really do a good job with our first one, you know. So my focus, my commitment is heads down and let's just operate a great restaurant. Let's really show the people of Houston why we're here, you know, wh- why they should enjoy coming into us and, and enjoy coming back. Um, and only sort of once we have earned the right to grow once people are saying gosh wouldn't it be great if we could put a citizens in edo or put a citizens in the heights i'd love to have one closer to where i live that's the right time that's when i think we start to look at opening another store or two but you know baby steps absolutely well andrew i have to say that does bring me to the end of my questions is there anything i haven't asked you about that you would like to say um no no this has been an absolute pleasure eric i'm I'm so stoked to be here in your show and just thankful for your time well i'm so glad that you did this it's been a lot of fun but before i let you go we have to play the lightning round five okay. easy questions five short answers just say the first thing that comes to mind andrew geisel what is your favorite ingredient i think eggs i love eggs what is the first band you ever saw in concert uh, I saw I saw a band. This is actually a little embarrassing. Called Rockstar Supernova. They were a like TV reality band. Having it was a program on on TV where they were finding a new lead singer, and uh, Tommy Lee was the drummer. And I think that was the first concert I ever went to. <laughs> what is the last TV show you binge watched? Um, me and my fiance binge watch alone. Um, I love camping and getting outdoors and they basically go out into the wilderness and live for half a year through insane conditions. So we, we, we put that one on repeat. And then what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. 
So long as you promise not to judge me. Um, no, no, my... this is a judgment free zone. <laughs> It's it, it's going to sound bad. My guilty pleasure is a McDonald's breakfast. Uh, I, we used to get this every Sunday back home in Australia. A couple of hash browns and a sausage egg McMuffin. Um, and I know coming from a breakfast operator, that probably sounds like a cardinal sin. So let's keep this a safe place. But that's definitely my guilty pleasure. No, this is this is a judgment-free zone. It's completely <laughs> fine. Uh, and then finally, when you're ordering a pizza, what are your go-to toppings? Oh my gosh, I have a feeling I'm about to offend so many people. But all of my friends back home know what my go-to pizza is. It's Hawaiian with anchovies. Um, so I, yeah, yeah, you definitely deserve <laughs> to laugh at that. I would call my local pizza store. I'd say, yeah, can I get one large Hawaiian at anchovies? And they'd say, all right, Andrew, will be ready soon. They just knew there's only one person who's ordering that. Right. Sweet, salty, umami. <laughs> I, I mean, like in my head, I understand um, but I can't imagine ever actually eating that pizza. Yeah, I don't know if I uh, have just a really rich culinary sense and that I've, I've created a new wave here or if I'm just crazy. It's definitely, I think, the latter. All right, Andrew, give us the website and the social media. How can people stay in touch with Citizens? Yep, find us on the web at citizens.coffee and find us on Instagram at citizens.of.of wonderful. Andrew, thanks so much. Eric, thank you, mate. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, this was fun. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.